this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Good to see everybody. Uh, how's everybody doing today? Good, good. My, my 11 o'clock crew, you guys normally, you got extra sleep, right? Got to fall back, all that good stuff. So um, who here likes to make a plan, right? Make a plan, carry out the plan, right? So in this, in this Acts series, uh, we've been talking about this idea that God is an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan, and we are his unstoppable church. So I think about that idea of making a plan. Well, I want to share with you. So when I was younger, I had made a plan. I decided I was going to be a professional musician. And I went to Francescott Key High School, left Francescott Key, graduated, and then went to University of North Texas. And for those of you who are musicians or know anything about music, uh, it's considered one of the top jazz schools in the country. And uh, I did a lot of playing enjoyed it, played a lot, learned a lot. My, my focus was jazz. I loved it. But then I realized I had to go to class. And uh, my plan kind of fell apart at that point. I actually failed out of school and came home with my tail between my legs and my mom and dad and went, hey, guess what I just did with your money? Woo! Well, that plan didn't go well either. Um, But I think about this, and the reason why I tell you this is God had a plan for me. So when I got home, mom and dad said, you got to do three things. You got to go back to, you got to get a full-time job. You're not going to go to school. Got to get a full-time job. I said, okay. Got to go back, start going back to church with us. Okay, I'll go back to church. And they said, and we want you to meet this um, pastoral counselor in Catonsville. And he'll going to run you through a series of tests, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, great. So as I tell the story, it seemed like I met with a guy for like seven years. I think I only met with him three times. Um, It was a struggle. I was doing Myers-Briggs, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, so he said to me, he goes, after doing all these tests, getting to know you, let me tell you what I think God has in store for you. I said, hit me. Let's see what we got. He goes, I think you should be a full-time pastor. I said, you're out of your mind. Didn't listen to that, went and ran restaurants and so forth. Anyway, eventually went back to, went to seminary and so forth. But here, here's why I bring this story up. We love making a plan. Some of us even like following through on the plan. Okay? Sometimes we just like making a plan just to make a plan. God's plan is always greater, and God's plan will always play out. We're going to learn in, in Acts 15, 36 through 16, 10. We're going to see this idea that Paul and Barnabas had a plan. That got changed. Paul then had a plan. That got changed. God's plan, he will carry it out. He is an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan. And in this day and age where we tend to have a little bit of a Henny penny, the sky is falling kind of mindset. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? New person in office or, you know, whatever. God is still in control. 
He will carry out his plan uh, no matter what gets in the way. So I want you to be thinking about our main point, and this is this idea of despite us, despite opposition, despite rules and regulations, all those kinds of things, God is still an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan, and because of that, we are the unstoppable church. Don't forget that. Okay, so let's dive into Acts 15. In our first verse, Acts 15.36. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of God and see how they're doing. That's a good plan, right? Anybody here for discipleship? I hope so. We're a church obviously focused on Christ, but our main goal of carrying that out is through discipleship. Paul and Barnabas have a good plan. What we're going to find later, though, is they couldn't quite figure out the team and how that was going to play out. One of our first takeaways, and I think you need to understand this, I know it's been hard at 53 years old. I struggle with this at times. Just because I have a good plan does not mean it's God's plan. It's one thing to say you have a bad plan and God overtakes that. It's another thing to go... But God, I thought I had a good plan. Well, he's probably saying you do have a good plan, but it's not the plan I have for you. And I think that's what Paul and Barnabas are going to run into here. Paul's plan was to go back, go back and visit people, but God's plan was to move to parts unknown. So let's, let's move on to verse 37 and 38. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. Your Bibles might say Mark, possibly, but John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to work. So ladies and gentlemen, we have our first confrontation, right? A difference of opinion. Classic conversation. The choice between two things. Possibly the idea of disqualifying a person who has had a major blunder we're seeking to restore someone back in the ministry. The plan that has, I mean, you think about this issue, it's happened to churches for thousands of years, right? Similar, similar thing. I often think about, I, I try to, when I read the Bible a lot of times, and especially some of these um, Bible characters, I try to put myself in their place. And I was thinking to myself reading this, I'm going, what do you think Paul and Barnabas thought? I don't like opposition. Glenn will tell you, Matt, Matt will tell you when, I, when we're in a pastoral meeting and I'm like, nope, I think we should do this. I, you know, like, I think I got the right idea. What's Paul and Barnabas thinking? <laughs> it's not in scripture, but I often think, what are they thinking? Like, is Paul going, Barnabas, you're nuts. Barnabas going, Paul, you're crazy. Okay? A difference of opinion. Here's what's important to take away for us as a church. We are going to have differences, opinions. We are going to have disagreements. What's crucial is how we interact in and amongst those disagreements. Very, very important to understand. Okay. We'll talk more about that towards the end. So verse 39 
They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Think about how bad that disagreement probably was. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. So here were two dedicated men who had just helped bring unity to the church, and yet they could not settle their differences. I, I think about Matt was preaching last week on what took place with Paul arguing about circumcision not being a way to salvation and so forth. Like, I feel like these guys left with this great victory. Like, woo! And then what happens next? Disagreement, right? So often it happens in the church. Happens outside the church, too. Happens in our marriages. Happens in our friendships. Had this great high, and now a difference. Let me make something clear, though. It makes sense that that Barnabas would side with John Mark. As we learn in Colossians, we see that they're cousins. Barnabas was eager to give John Mark another chance to serve the Lord and to prove himself, maybe from his fault of not going on that last trip. So you see John Mark's side. Well, then you got Paul's side. Paul's like, I'm not taking that guy. He flaked out last time. Are both men right? Are they wrong? I think they're both right. But a major difference of opinion. So that word disagreement is perioxum, which could mean kind of a blow up between friends or this idea of of contention. They had contention with each other. Obviously, it wasn't going well because they immediately split up. They they immediately split up. The only other use of this word in the New Testament in, New, in the New Testament is Hebrews 10:24 where the writer uses it provoking one to good behavior. The word leads us to believe that this was a heated disagreement. So when I was a kid, I remember playing with friends, and I'm sure I did this too, but I can remember specifically one, one moment where we were playing and we decided to change the rules, and the guy went, fine, I'll take my baseball bat, my wiffle ball, I'm out of here. <laughs> And I think about Paul and Barnabas that maybe there was something of that going on too. You just don't know. And again, who was right? Now, I I tell you this. So on a side note, I think one of our takeaways as as a church now in in the time that we're in, I'm going to give you kind of two like little, like if you were coming to me for counsel, these are two things I would say to you. If you're having a disagreement with someone, you need to be praying for them. You need to be praying for them. You need to be praying for, for you. Who, who here has that one question they can't wait to ask God, right? A lot of people say, oh, I got, I, I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this question. Well, my question that I would love to ask him is, how is it that when I'm praying for somebody, you change my heart? I found that with like Michelle and I, just even in disagreements, praying for her. I'm always like, Lord, you need to fix her. Fix her. She's broken. I know I'm right on this. But somehow he fixes me. I often think that's one of the greatest things we can do in a disagreement when we have, when we're struggling with somebody and so forth. Really, really important. Hmm. That idea of praying praying for them. You know, it doesn't say that in the text whether they did that or not, but that would definitely be one of my opinions, one one of my counsels to you and so forth. Everyone has an opinion on everything. 
go on social media, right? Everybody has an opinion. The problem is, just on a side note, opinions become fact in this world, but that's a whole other conversation on itself. So one of the things that's important to understand is we will see later that John Mark, he succeeded in, in ministry despite what was going on between Barnabas and Paul and so forth. We'll even see that Paul comes to love him and appreciate him and so forth. And we see that in Colossians and in 2 Timothy. I think one of the things that we have to realize is as people that we hate change, right? Can't stay in change, generally speaking. Well, God will change people in ministry even if there's nothing going wrong. I mean, there's a good chance, but please don't leave here. I'm not trying to start a rumor. Could be a good chance God calls Glenn somewhere, calls me somewhere, Matt somewhere. I mean, it could happen. Because you got to do, you got to follow what God's having you do. Well, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong. It's just this is not part of God's plan is maybe changing people in ministry. And that's hard. That's hard for us to handle. So in my reading, I came across, if anybody reads Warren Wearsby, I like Wearsby stuff. I think he's, he's a really neat writer. He's a cool pastor. And this is something he said, and I just want to give him credit because it's a really cool, cool passage, in, in, uh, a, a cool line in reference to our passage. And it says this, If God had to depend on perfect people to accomplish his work, he would never get anything done. He goes on to say our limitations and our imperfections are good reasons for us to depend on the grace of God for our sufficiency is from him alone. Their plan was to visit past areas, but God's plan was to get two missional journeys started, one with Paul and one with Barnabas. So verse 40 and 41 but Paul chose Silas and departed. After being commanded by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord, he traveled through Syria and Sicily, strengthening their churches. So why did Paul choose Silas? Paul and Barnabas were friends, and I would say somewhat, if, you were a, if you're a sports fan, I'd say they were on a win streak. God had a plan, and God knows what was happening before. He knows what is happening in the present, and he knows what's happening in the future. So reading ahead, which Matt will be preaching on next week, is in, later on in Acts 16, we see that, that Silas being a Roman citizen would come in handy. Well, only God would know that. How often do we sit in our tiny little bubbles and think, okay, Lord, this is the plan I have. It's going to work out for this reason and so forth. But he sometimes will demolish that plan. And you're like, what is going on? And then you're able to look back. He gives you that kind of hindsight is 2020. And you can look back and go, oh, that's what you were doing. So important to remember. I find these kind of moments in my own walk, again, just being vulnerable with you all. These are a struggle for me. I want to know the whole picture, right? I want to know everything that's going on. I'm, I got control issues. I got, you know, I don't like change. I, you know, I'm just like everybody else in this regard. People ask me often, why, why do you think God does these things? Well, personally, I think one of the best counsel I can give you is I think it strengthens our faith. I mean, if we saw, every, if we saw everything, right, what would that really do? 
we wouldn't generally maybe not need God at that point. You're right. I'm not saying that's right, but it's kind of, oh, you know what, God, I know what's going to happen. I'm good. Instead, this idea of being able to staying, clinging to him, relying on him and so forth. So, so important. So what happens to Barnabas? So Barnabas doesn't really appear in Acts again. And um, I, read, I read one commentary that kind of saw this as kind of a punishment for him. I don't agree with that. Like, that's interesting. I don't think he was being punished. What I think is, and I, I think it's very clear, Luke excluded him from the story, not on purpose, but simply because he's carrying out what God is doing through Paul and so forth. We later learn in Paul's writings, as in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, that Paul names Barnabas as a great example of one who gave a lot of himself for ministry. Barnabas was a great example. And specifically, it's also important to note that Barnabas, maybe his most important role was his influence on John Mark's life. John Mark would be somewhat part of Peter's ministry and later again with Paul. And this is important for us as a church. It's important for us as a body of believers. God calls some of us into public ministry, preaching, having our name known, writing books, and so forth. Why he's given those person those gifts, I, I'm not exactly sure, but that's part of his plan. But he's also given some people the behind-the-scenes gifts. I always use my wife in this because Michelle is one of the best behind-the-scenes people I've ever met. She wants no pat on the back. She wants no glory. She just does things sometimes just to serve the Lord, and nobody will ever know it. What a, what a humble spirit. You can tell her I said that. She's not here at the moment. But, but she does. She's got a humble... That's just her way of serving the Lord. But she's, God's gifted us differently. And I think it's really important to understand that. And especially at times, we're even in different seasons of our life. Or maybe God's got you front and center in something, and then in another season, He's got you working behind the scenes. But let me help you understand one major thing I think that we can take away from Paul and Barnabas, specifically in what's going on. Two things in particular. Neither one of them did ministry alone. I think it's an important, important piece to take on. They did not do ministry alone. They saw the importance of doing it with other people. So, so important. And secondly, we are a church that our focus is Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. But through Christ, one of our major missions is this idea of discipling and coming alongside of others to help each other grow. The word we like to use is this idea of replicating. Paul and Barnabas were replicating themselves and other people. Paul with Silas, we'll soon see in Timothy. And Barnabas, we see with John, Mark, and others. It's a huge piece. We cannot do the ministry by ourselves, and we need to make sure we got people around us. Okay. So Acts 16, 1 and 2. Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Two big things to understand here. So in that day and age, Timothy being having a Jewish mother and a Greek father was seen as Greek. 
That's important to understand when we get to verse 3 and circumcision. Okay? Very, very important to understand that. But two, the other thing is, and this is a good recommendation if you're leading a ministry or in ministry, Paul immediately went to the people that were speaking highly of him. He heard good things going on with Timothy. That idea of affirmation of what he was doing and so forth. Two important takeaways. Now this leads us to verse 3, which I believe is why we hear about his, his parents being different. So Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew that his father was Greek. Now I've said in all, all services, and I'll say it again, the reason Matt did not preach today is he did not want to talk about circumcision. <laughs> so the Bible does not contradict itself. I'm going to give you that statement first. So why was Paul in the previous chapter arguing about circumcision where now he's saying Timothy should be circumcised? Well, hopefully this helps you. Previously, he was arguing the idea of circumcision being a way for salvation. You with me? So that idea of, and you can, you can take away circumcision and put it whatever word you want in there. Good deeds, I'm a good person. See what I mean? But to the Jewish people, circumcision was such an important thing, and they believed you had to have that done. And what he was saying, you don't have to have that done. It is through grace. Jesus Christ and his grace that saves us. Okay? Here, what he's saying, and he will later say this in his letters to the Corinthians, this idea of, if I'm going to be, I'm paraphrasing, if I'm going to be with the Jews, I'm going to look like the Jews. So what he's saying is for Timothy really to be accepted, generally speaking, he would have to be circumcised. Man, it'd be a little bit easier as a kid than it would be as an adult, Right? But he believed that it was important for that to happen. So I think of when I was younger, and this story is kind of stuck with me, Ron DePriest, who was a hell's angel, I heard him speak at um, Jesus 76 or Jesus 77, which is now called creation. Anyway, but I remember him sharing his testimony about how he came to know the Lord and that his, he believed his role was, even despite the hell's angels wanting to kill him because he was so high up, that he wanted to continue sharing the gospel with the hell's angels. And he would do it privately. And literally hundreds of hell's angels were coming to know Christ. But he said, but I'm going to keep my motorcycle. I'm going to keep my tattoos and I'm going to keep my leather jacket because I got to look like one of them. I think that story kind of applies to this. That's why Paul circumcised Timothy. It had nothing to do with salvation. It had to do with that he would look like the Jews. Now, in a room this size, I'm assuming there's probably somebody in here that doesn't know who Jesus Christ is. So I would say this to you. Let me take something off your shoulder, off your back right now. There is nothing you can do to work your way up to heaven. You cannot build a ladder, a staircase, an elevator high enough to get there. 
It is through the blood of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. It is through His grace that we place our faith in Him. I had somebody say to me when I was younger, and I just, I've always loved this idea. It's that we need to ask Him to be Lord over our life, right? Father, Lord over me. Take control, because what I'm doing, it just ain't working. So I'd also say to you, if, if you're that person right now, love to talk to you after the service. We've got other people. Even just turn to the person beside you. I'm sure they'd share a great story of how Jesus Christ has saved them from themselves. Just keep that in the back of your mind. It's because of his grace, not because of circumcision. So verse 4 and 5, as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. The decisions were meant to be obeyed. This was important. This means that Gentile Christians should not be circumcised and subject to the kind of quote, quote, wholesale obedience to the Mosaic law. They weren't Jewish. And the example I gave you is kind of like what Rhonda Priest was saying about, you know, but he still needed to look like him. That's how, that's how he could relate. But Gentile Christians should follow those laws that apply to them. Things like idolatry and sexual immorality and so forth. The churches were growing through the preaching and the teams that Paul put together that God had sent out not because of the issue of circumcision, but because it was finalized, that, that you didn't have to be circumcised. I think they probably thought there was going to be no more arguing amongst the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm sure that didn't stop things, but really, really important. So verse 6 and 7. They went through the region of uh, Phyriga and uh, Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to uh, Mysa, they tried to go into Bethina, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by uh, Mycenae, they went down to Tros. Here we see Paul being forced to change his plans again. Paul had an idea at the beginning. Me and Barnabas, we're going to go back and visit the old churches we've been to and so forth. Probably hit Chick-fil-A on the way home, right? They had this cool kind of idea, and God just went, not going to happen that way. And here we have again. Because look, let's be honest. Paul's saying, I want to go to Asia and share the gospel. It's not a bad idea. It's what we're all called to do. But this is not what God had intended some would say, in my readings, I've, I was discovering that maybe possibly the reason for these interruptions could have been hostility and persecution that could be awaiting Paul. It could also be because of the major difficulties he felt early on in his missional journeys. Either way, and I want to reiterate this again, God had an unstoppable plan. And he would carry that out by using any method he could to get Paul and his team on the right track. Lastly, before we move on to our last couple of verses, I want to hit on one thing. Whose Bible says Spirit of Jesus in it? Anybody? Right? Spirit of Jesus. So let me, let me touch on this rather quickly for you, but I think it's just important because it might, you might be going, I, I just don't understand why that's there. 
When I was reading this, my first thought was Spirit of Jesus. Where does that come from? So we believe it's the only time we see that it's really used that way. The only time the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. And let me read specifically what the commentary said because I think I can read it better than me trying to explain it to you. This is appropriate in the light of Acts 2-3 where Peter states that Jesus fulfilled the promise of the spirit of prophecy and placing God's spirit on his disciples. And then he goes on to say this. Luke is teaching us that Jesus continues to be involved in the life and ministry of his followers. And this is really a great takeaway. And this expression is another great example of Luke's high Christology. The idea of who Christ is. He's putting Christ, because you, you got to remember, us as the readers and the Jews, they just didn't think of Jesus that way. What, what Luke is saying is, no, 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 he's up here. Like, he is, he's the king of kings, and so forth. I hope that helps a little bit. If you want to dive in deeper, come find us, and we can d- dive in deeper to that. But I just think it's important to touch on why it's there. So verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. So some see this as maybe a vision or possibly a dream or maybe something crazy going on in his sleep. Well, I've told this story in the past two services and I feel like I should tell it again. So anybody who knows me, (laughs) my wife will tell you I'm a crazy sleep person. When we went to uh, Watermark, Michelle even warned Matt and Glenn, if you, if you, <laughs> if you sleep with uh, my husband, it could get a little weird at night. So when Michelle, I, hmm, yep, I'll, I'll explain that. Um, so when Michelle and I were newly married, in the middle of the night, I don't remember this, I said to her, hey, you need to put a sweater on. She goes, what do you mean I have to put a sweater on? I go, you got to put a sweater on. Like, like I was panicking. So she goes, put the sweater on. We wake up the next morning and I go, what do you got a sweater on for? <laughs> she goes, are you kidding me? I said, honey, that's when you should have run. <laughs> I got some sleep issues. I, I don't know what they call it. But anyway, I, I don't think this is that moment for them. But I found it a funny story when I was studying. I'm like, oh, I remember that time I made Michelle put the sweater on. Holy Spirit-led vision. That's what we're talking about here, okay? The Holy Spirit was leading Paul. Really, really important. And it seems very, very clear what the vision is and what the significance is behind it. This seems to be a man who doesn't know the gospel, doesn't know God, and is calling for Paul to help. So here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to just stop and pause for one couple seconds here. Who has God been putting on your heart and mind that is in your like uh, sphere of influ- influence? Friends, maybe somebody that's crying for help. I'd love you to begin praying for that person and asking God for boldness to share the gospel with, with that person. That's how we as a church can influence the culture, right? You think about it. If everybody in here had two or three people you were praying for that don't know the gospel and you were fearless in sharing the gospel with them, think about how God could use us in a mighty way. I just wanted to add that because I think it's it's an important part in here. 
We all have that person we know that's crying out for help. Let me finish with verse 10. After he had seen this vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So cool, right? They'd come to the realization this is what God wanted them to do. So they decided to travel to Macedonia. Paul must have taken this vision. My guess is he had taken this vision similar to what we do as pastors with staff and so forth. Hey, I have this idea. Let me run it through you guys. What do you guys think? Are we crazy? Are we going to go forth with this? So forth and so on. Similar thing is happening here with Paul. So I'm going to put my counselor hat on for a split second of doing it for so many years. Let me, let me share this last thing before I give you your gospel responses. In counseling, I've had multiple people over the years share with me that they've seen visions, that God's given them a vision. Now, I'm not saying he can't give you a vision. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do that. But I think you need to run it through, it, through a filter. And I think that filter is biblical. One, if you think God has verbally given you a vision, told you to do something... One, I think you need to run it through a strong body of believers, people that you have, uh, you're walking with, that know you well, and so forth. And second of all, and most importantly, if it does not line up with Scripture or God's heart, I don't think you're hearing it right. Now, you might stand up here, you might think I'm standing up here, you're like, that guy's crazy. I can't tell you how many people have shared with me, I have a vision of this. And there have been times where I'm like, whoa. I just think it's important to realize that. If it doesn't line up with Scripture and you're not running it through, like if I had some vision, I feel like God's telling me to do something, I'd say to Matt and Glenn, I'd say, hey, can we get in a room? Can we pray about this? I want to give you my thoughts. Because I've had people say some really crazy stuff about what they think God's telling them to do, and it just doesn't line up with who He is. So I just wanted to give you that piece. I know it's may seem awkward at this point, but I just think it's so important to understand that. I think that's what Paul's done. Paul had a vision. He probably came back and said to Silas and Timothy, hey, here's what I think we're called to do. Okay, and they obviously were on board because it says, we did this. We moved forward and so forth. Okay, so let me give you your last, let me give you your gospel responses. Three, three pieces here. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to share the gospel inside and outside the church. I think this passage is just bathed in this idea that we have to move forward for God, right? He doesn't need us to, but we need to for him, right? We need to share the God. We need to edify people inside the church, help build them up so that we can gather, grow, and go, right? We can move outside this church like a rocket, excited to share the gospel with others. I think that's non-negotiable. I think that's what we're called to do as, as a body believer, and that's what we're called to do as a church. Second, as followers of Jesus Christ, we will have disagreements. It's how we react that is so crucial. I cannot stress with you enough, I believe there's two things that I would say I stand on a hill about. One is how we look to the outside church, to people outside the church and our disagreements and our conflict and how we look in our marriages. I really believe that one of the things that we can do for God's glory 
is when we have disagreements and conflict, we handle them biblically, we handle them with love, so that the church, people outside the church are going, well, that's much better than the way I'm doing it, right? And it's attractive to them. Similar with our marriages. Our marriages look different. I think the problem is we look just like the outside world at times. And I'm, I'm top of the list. I've done it. But I think we're called. It's how we react to each other that's so crucial. And lastly, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know I'm not the fastest guy in the room, but I sometimes think that I can outrun God that I can run before him. I'm like, come on, Lord, catch up. I got a great plan. That is so contradictory to being led by the Holy Spirit. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Hence why there's so many parts of Scripture that say, wait on the Lord, right? He knows what he's doing, folks. He goes before us. He understands what's going on now. He understands what's going to happen in the future. Being led by the Holy Spirit, how we act in our disagreements, and sharing the gospel to those inside and outside the church. Those are our big takeaways from this passage. And hopefully, those are things you'll apply to your life this week in the coming weeks. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I thank you for the strength and the wherewithal you gave me today, Lord. Um, Father, you are so good to us. As, as we sang that song earlier, Lord, the goodness of God, you are faithful, Lord. You are loving, caring, compassionate, giving. Um, Satan wants to tell us that you're a hoarder, but we know you're a rewarder. Father, thank you, Lord. But Father, specifically when it pertaining to the gospel, Lord, thank you for what your son did on the cross for us. May we never take that for granted. And would we share the good news of your son with others, Lord. Father, we love you. And we lift this up to you in your son's holy, precious name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is going. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is going. Oh, come to the altar. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. 
Thanks again for being here this morning. Uh, I hope as you go, you'll remember Pastor Bill's challenges. I'm so thankful for Pastor Bill and Pastor Glenn. We're able to lead worship and preach the Word of God for us um, as pastors of this church as well. So uh, thank you. Um, I'm headed down to Discover. If you have not been part of Alpha, we'd love for you to get connected so that you can uh, learn more about our mission and vision, what we do through discipleship here at WBC. Otherwise, we hope to see you next week for the shoe packing event or harvest dinner on the 19th at 6 o'clock p.m. Have a great week. We'll see you guys later. have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.